Amen. Have you got a Bible this morning? All right. Well, if you do, you can go to 1 Kings chapter 18, and um, we'll get there in a moment. Father, we, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you for another opportunity to gather around your word this morning. Lord, I pray for, for revelation and I pray for wisdom to flow in the house this morning. Lord, I, I humble myself before you this morning in, in all my weakness, Lord. And, and I ask that, Lord, you would take these words that are your words, Lord, and that you would breathe life on them. That there would be life-giving words this morning that there would be words that transform us from the inside out. Holy Spirit, we, we call on you as a family this morning. We sang, it's not by might and it's not by power, it's by your Spirit. We, we, we believe that, Lord. That's not just a song we sing. We really believe it's by your Spirit. And we are here this morning to be filled with your Spirit. We're here this morning to be commissioned by you, Lord. Well, Lord, we're here for a spiritual transaction this morning. Lord, a, 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 a fleshly transaction will not do, Lord. Human eloquence will not do, Lord. Human wisdom, Lord, won't help us. Lord, we, our eyes are on you, Jesus, Jehovah, our, our, our Savior, our King. We set our eyes on you this morning. We ask that you, you would send your Spirit into this moment and that we would find the food that we need. We would find the, the refreshing that we need. We would find the courage that we need this morning. Holy Spirit, we lean on you. We look into your word and we pray that you would illuminate it to us this morning. May your peace that transcends all understanding be upon us this morning, Lord. May your rest come upon us this morning. Lord, I pray for a release this morning, Lord. Lord, for those who are agitated this morning, for those who are frustrated, Lord. Lord, for those who, Lord God, are burdened this morning, I pray for a release in your house this morning. Lord, I ask right now that your spirit would begin to move to every person here, Lord, that you would touch, heal, restore, and deliver this morning. You would do what only you can do this morning, Lord. Come set the captives free this morning, Lord. Come release the burdens, I pray. And enable us, Lord God, so that we can serve you better. Amen. Amen. Well, last week uh, was, was Vision Sunday. And, um, and we spoke about, the, the, the message that I spoke about last week was when, when God shakes the room. Do you remember that? Uh, can you give a little shake this morning? Just, I want to see you awake. Where's the shake? Not bad. Okay. You're getting there. All right. When God shakes the room, um, was the message I preached last week. And really it was a message about where I feel like God is calling us as a church to prayer, to a time of prayer and to, to up our game in terms of prayer and to really devote ourselves to prayer like the early church devoted themselves to prayer. And the reason for that is because what I, I hear God saying to us as a church is that He is positioning us for harvest. Uh, you know, when I pray, I, I see people. 
And, and I really believe that from the campuses in our campus congregations and in this congregation, I really believe that there is a harvest of souls in the city that God wants to bring into our churches. When, when we as a staff pray and when we elders pray, we're crying out to God. We, we have prayer meetings during the week and in different times. And, and when I, every time I pray, I see people. And, I, and, and people that I've never met before. And I see faces. And I, see, and I just see a harvest of souls coming in. And I really want to say, guys, I'm, I'm seeing something for us as a family. I really believe that God wants to add to us. I really believe God wants to multiply us. I believe that God wants to expand us in the city of Durban. And the reason is because the Bible says that He's not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to the knowledge of of Jesus Christ and be saved and set free. God has a, has a heart so big that every single person in the city can fit into it. And uh, and I and I and I look at our city and I and man, it's just full of lost people, people who are taken captive by the enemy, people whose eyes are blinded, whose hearts are blinded. They they're bound in sin, they bound in destructive ways. And and you know what? Any person, I really believe this, that any person who does not have Christ is actually suffering. Ultimately, they will end up in a place of suffering. But even right now, I think about what I have in Christ, and I can't imagine going through life right now without Christ. You know, somebody, we, we were sitting at the wedding yesterday, and somebody said, um, I can't remember, I think, I think it was my wife, my gorgeous wife. And somebody said, yeah, despite the challenges, we press on. And, 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 and I think Trish said this, she said, yeah, imagine we were doing this without Christ. That's suffering. That would be terrible to be in that darkness, to be without that knowledge, to be without that wisdom, that revelation, that help, that person you can call on. Oh, Jesus, help me, save me. That is a place of suffering. And and you know what? Church, we need to start become burdened more for the lust in our city. We really need to start to cry out for the lust in our city. I, I, I believe it starts when we start to pray, when we start to seek God, and when we start to cry out to God, and God shakes the room, souls come pouring in. And that's really what I shared about last week. And, and I want to pick up on that last week, on that message last week, where, where Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 38, there was this moment where there's this crowd coming out of a city to him, and and, and the disciples, they just saw people. But Jesus looked at them and he saw harvest. He said, behold, look, the harvest is ripe. It's ready. And then he says these words to his disciples. He says, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. When Jesus looked at the crowds, he saw a harvest like a farmer looks crop that's just producing and fruitful and abundant. Jesus saw people like that. And, and, and he said to his disciples, what you're seeing now, this harvest that's coming in, that, that city really got saved. It was an incredible revival that took place in that city. He said, what you're seeing is the result of labor. Somebody labored for this. And you, and you disciples, you're fortunate. You're getting to step into their labors. You haven't labored, you're just getting to reap. <laughs> and then, you know, I thought about that for a moment. You know, if, if you've ever led somebody to the Lord, if you've ever shared the gospel and they've come to that place where they, they give their life to Jesus, it's a wonderful moment. Sometimes it's happened w- with people that I've met for the very first time. You know, and I share the gospel, complete strangers, they give their life to Christ. And I sometimes walk away from those experiences going, wow, I'm so fantastic. <laughs> 
You know, that was awesome. I really, I nailed that one. I really presented the gospel so well. And I hear these words of Jesus coming back at me. I've sent you to reap where others have labored. That guy that we led to the Lord, what about his mom, his granny, his family, his friends, his neighbors? Has somebody prayed for him? Has somebody asked God for him? You know, we, we don't really, we don't know, but according to this scripture, this is telling us somebody is laboring before somebody comes in. Somebody is saying prayer before the harvest is coming in. That there has to be some sort of prayer. And the labor Jesus is talking about is prayer. And so this morning what I want to do is I just want to share with you there's different types of prayer. And I want to share with you the type of prayer that we need to start engaging in if we want to see the harvest come in. That's what I want to talk about this morning. There's a type of prayer. There's different types of prayer. I want to share this morning about the type of prayer that sees the harvest come in. And then I want to show you, just equip you this morning on how you can do that. And then I'm hoping this morning we will still have some time and finish by praying. Amen? That we'll actually engage and practice what we learned this morning. So without further ado, I want to start with just this, this quote from uh, P.T. Forsyth. I'm glad that's not my name. <laughs> P.T. Forsyth. He wrote a book called The Soul of Prayer. And he said this. He said this. He said, the Lose the habit. Can we read this together this morning? Can we just read it together? Let's go. Lose the habit of wrestling and the hope of prevailing with God. Make it mere walking with God in friendly talk. And precious as that is, Yet you tend to lose the reality of prayer at last. This is such a powerful statement here. Um, and what he's, what he's communicating in this book and what he's saying here is he's saying there are different types of prayer. There is the prayer that we normally used to. It's the quiet, meditative kind of soaking prayer, the one that we wake up to in the morning where, we, where we're just engaging quietly with the Lord and we, we're reading the Word and we're contemplative and we're intimate with God. It's, there's that beautiful, who knows what I'm talking about this morning, that just moment of precious quietness that you have with God. But then there is also a wrestling type of prayer, a prevailing type of prayer, a prayer that's authoritative, a prayer that's declarative, a prayer that is earnest, that is heartfelt, that is persistent, that is declaring things that aren't as though they are. There is a wrestling type of prayer as well as the quiet meditative prayer. It's the type of prayer that Hannah engaged in when she was so desperate for a child that she would go to the temple and cry out with tears pouring down her face, calling out unto God, saying, God, look upon your servant. And it's the type of prayer that that Moses engaged in when you're standing on the mountain and he had his hands raised over the battle that was raging and Joshua was fighting. It's the type of prayer that Jesus was engaging in in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was down on his knees and he was sweating blood and he was crying out, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And the Bible says that in those moments, that in that moment where Jesus was prevailing in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, that angels came and strengthened him. Jesus knew 
that breakthrough comes when we start to prevail in prayer. The fact that angels showed up and strengthened him seems to me that there was some sort of breakthrough that took place in that garden. And I, you know, I mean, you, you're facing crucifixion. You're, you're going to go think about everything that Jesus went through in that time. You're going to need some angels to strengthen you before that moment. You're going to need some superhuman strength to get through a day like that. And Jesus knew that that is not going to happen unless he prevails in prayer, persists in prayer. And he got the breakthrough and angels arrived. You know, something that we need to get used to is praying until we get a breakthrough, of prevailing, of pressing in until we get the, that angel penetrates the forces of darkness and arrives with the revelation from heaven that we need. But too often we're weak in our prayers. Too often we're complacent in our prayers. Too often we just pray once off, shoot a little arrow, hope for the best. If it doesn't work out, hey, I tried. And there needs to be a grip that comes into us if we really want to start to see heaven move. And there's, there's so many reasons for this. You know, the Bible talks in, in the book of Daniel about, about how there's, there's principalities and there's powers over cities. And how da- uh, Daniel had to pray and fast for three weeks or before the, for an angel was able to break through the principalities and powers over his city and give him the answer from heaven. So we, we, we sometimes feel like God is, is unwilling, but we don't understand the context of our story. Jesus said, we're, we're, in, we're, in, we're in battle, we're in war. There are principalities and powers and rulers over this dark age. We're, we're on, on earth, He's in heaven, but there's, there's this intermediary zone above us where there's chaos and there's battle happening. And often we think that God is unwilling, but we fail to realize what God has revealed to us in His Word about how we need to put on the full armor and stand and resist the enemy and then He will flee from us. Listen, God is not unwilling. But we have to understand who we are, the, where we live, the context that we're in, the, the environment that we're in, and start to engage correctly in it. I feel too many of us, we, we pray and we, we cry out, and then you know we don't get the answer, and then we start to blame God. When Jesus said this, ask and keep asking. Knock and Seek and keep seeking. He told a parable about a, a widow who kept bringing her case to an unrighteous judge. And the judge would sit there and say, woman, get away from me. I've got better things to do. And then the next day she would come again to this unrighteous judge and say, listen to my case. Bring justice to me. And the unrighteous judge would say, get away from me, woman. I've got better things to do. And eventually, after I don't know how many days, this unrighteous judge was just like, ah! Yes, woman, what do you want? (laughs) And he answers her case and he brings justice to her. And Jesus wasn't saying that our father is an unrighteous judge. What he was doing was he was contrasting. He was saying even an unrighteous judge would eventually do How much more a good heavenly father who loves us, who's for us, who'll never leave us nor forsake us. But we have to, this is what Jesus was teaching us about prayer. And I'm telling you guys, there are so many breakthroughs that you could have in your health, in your body, in your family, in your residence, in your neighborhood. If only we would understand the power that we have in prayer, of the anointing that God has given us, of the authority that we have in Christ. 
Jesus said in Luke 10 verse 19, Behold, I give you all authority to trample on snakes and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. This is the authority we have, but are we stepping into it? Are we wielding that sword? Are we lifting up that shield? Are we engaging in this type of prayer? I think it's wonderful that we have quiet times. And I know most of you are having them. But we need to have a space where we've got some hot pray too. You know, I'm just going to call it hot pray. I think that sounds good. Did you understand what I mean when I say hot pray? I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, you know there's, this, there's this quiet moment where we just meditate. But that we need to have a space where there's some hot prayer, where we shandai, hundai, tie the bow tie, rabbi shandai, where we command things, where we rebuke the enemy, where we stand on the scriptures, where we walk around our room, where we pray in tongues until we hear that breakthrough, until we get that answer that we're looking for. That, that type of heart prayer, man. Heart, heart prayer. We need to set this church on fire, man, with some prayer, Amen. Amen. Come on. <laughs> sure. Listen, look at this. I told, I told you last week about the Hebridean revival. Do you remember that? How revival broke out in the outer Hebrides and northwest Scotland and just thousands and thousands of people came to salvation, but it all started with two old gogos, 84 and 82, who would not give up in prayer, man. It started with them. Thousands who know Jesus because two gogos prayed. Ah, oh, church, man, can we get this? We have to, have to, have to get this. Look at one of the intercessors. This is, what, this is one of the intercessors who joined those old gogos. This is what she said. She said, the breath of the Spirit would come, and it was like being in childbirth. We would fill up and fill up and fill up with the breath of God, and we would be in agony, and suddenly there would be relief as a new soul was born. Then the weight would come again, and we would fill up again and again, and others would be born into the kingdom of God. She was describing their prayer meetings. This is the, this is the type of labor Jesus is talking about. You have entered into where other people have labored. We, 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 Duncan Campbell went and, and he reaped the harvest everywhere he traveled. He would preach and people would just be pouring into the church. No one, they didn't have to put posters, SMSs, Facebook posts, nothing. People were waking up in their beds saying, I need to get to the house of God, finding the nearest church before they could even get to the church. They were on their knees crying, repenting of their sins. It's not by might. Can we just sing that for a moment? Somebody lead us. Come on. God, bend your spirit, God, not by mind, not by power, by your spirit, God, send your again, not by mind, not by power, by your spirit, God. Send your spirit again, not by mind, not by power, by your spirit, God. Send your spirit, God. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Salvation, I want you to know, is a work of God. It's a work of God. The type of prayer. I'm talking about heart prayer 
is what the church often calls intercession, okay, or intercessory prayer. Intercession is defined as this, is the act of intervening. That's what intercession is. It's the act of intervening. So imagine things are going in a particular way, and you're, you're watching them go in a particular way, and intercess, intercession or the act of intervening would be you step into that situation and you redirect it in another way. That's what intercession is. It's the act of intervening. So you can see your family going in a particular way and you know that that's not in line with God's Word. So you step in and you intervene so that it goes in the way that God wants it. You see your rays going in a particular way. You see your campus going in a particular way. You see your neighborhood going in a particular way. You see your house going in a particular way. You see your finances going in a particular way. And you step in and you intervene so that God's will can come from the situation. That's what intercession is. Walter Wink said this. He said, intercession, history belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. History belongs to the intercessors. My goodness, the last 2,000 years of church have taught us that. It belongs to the intercessors. Most of you don't know of a man called Kurt Havelock. Am I right? No one here. Kurt Havelock. All right? Kurt Havelock was, a couple of years ago, was a seriously deranged man. He was seriously upset with the world, and all he wanted to do was kill people. He took a rifle... He loaded 200 rounds of ammunition on it, and he drove to Phoenix Stadium in Arizona when the American Super Bowl was on. And he had one intention, and that was to kill as many people as he could. He had a sign that he stuck to his body that said, do not resuscitate, which in other words, he, he planned to take his life after that moment. He drove to the stadium, and this was an event being watched by 100 million people live on TV. All right, and countless millions others, you know, uh, around the world. He drove to the same, he parked his car in a parking space, and he had what he described as a change of heart. What actually happened was he broke down in tears. He began to sob uncontrollably. He reached for his phone, and he phoned his father, and he said, Dad, I have done something so terrible. After that, he then went and handed himself into the police without a shot being fired. And the whole world didn't know what had happened. Everyone thought, yeah, just another Super Bowl. It went on, you know, great. Bloodshed was it. And then the next day on the news, it all came out, and everybody knew about this thing, and like, wow, thank God, you know, it didn't happen. But nobody else knows this. There's that Deb Welsh, who's the leader of 24-7 Prayer in Arizona, was in a prayer meeting where one of her intercessors saw the stadium co clo clothed in blood, dripping in blood. And she knew something bad was going to happen. And so what that team of intercessors did was they drove to the stadium that week before the event, and they parked their car in the exact same parking space that Kurt parked his car. And they began to intervene into the circumstances. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed until they got a breakthrough, and then they left. They watched on TV, the Super Bowl happened without any sort of problem, and they thought, well, huh, that was silly, why did we do that? Two days later, every, the whole other story came out. History belongs to the intercessors. 
This is what we need to do. We need to intervene in the circumstances. Are you in, in, Elijah, um, in 1 Kings 18? I wanted to just talk about Elijah this morning. <clears throat> the context to the story is, this, is that the nation of Israel was in sin and, and idolatry and, and straying from the word of God and, and things were really bad. And, and, and so Elijah stepped in and, and he prayed that it would not rain in Israel. He prayed for drought. You know, we normally pray for rain. He actually prayed for drought. Things were so bad that he was like, these people need, something needs to get their attention and bring them back to God. So he prayed for drought. And the Bible says that rain stopped over the nation for more than three years. Can you imagine what would happen? I mean, we're experiencing something similar in Cape Town. You know, it's, it's severe, it's drastic, it's radical. We're talking about an agrarian society mostly here, dependent on rain. Three years of no rain, everything is dried up, everything is dusty, no crops, no harvest, no money, famine, crops die, I mean, cattle dying, it's, it's a disaster zone. And then they have this moment where Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal so that everyone will see who the true God of God answers with fire miraculously, and, and the whole nation's attention is back on God. The whole nation is like, okay, we're back here, we're back here. And then Elijah, in verse 41, says the following. He said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. There was nothing. There was blue skies. I'm here to say, I hear the sound of harvest. I'm telling you, I can hear the sounds of people walking and people talking. I can hear the sounds of churches filling up. I, and not just our church, the church in Durban. I can hear the sound of harvest. I look at the blocks of flats around us and I'm like, people, they are coming. <laughs> they are coming. They are walking into the house of God. The harvest is here. It's there. I'm telling you what I'm hearing. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. So when you hear something, when God tells you something in the Spirit, what's the correct response? Prayer. You go to prayer. You go prepare in prayer. We heard, heard that last week as well. And he prayed, and then he said to his servant, go look out to the sea. And the servant went and looked and then returned to Elijah and said, I don't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. And finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. And then Elijah shouted, hurry, go tell Ahab, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. And soon the sky was black with clouds and a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. Amen. I, I, I just, I love the process of this. You hear and see what God is saying. You then go to prayer. And, El and Elijah just going on his knees and he bows his head between his knees. I mean, and then, and then he, I, I always wondered, like, why did he do that? You know, why did he get down so low? And I think it was because the sun was shining so bright. <laughs> I think it was one of those beautiful days. <laughs> and he just did not want to look at the circumstances but he just wanted to focus on what God had said. And he began to persist in prayer. And his servant he tells, sends his servant. His servant comes back. There's nothing. What does he do? He gives up. He goes home. Puts the bry on. 
says, well, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. No? He carries on praying. He sends his servant again. Servant comes back, says, there's blue skies, boss. What does he do? Pray some more. Pray some more. He prays until he gets his breakthrough. How could he be so sure that God would answer? Well, because he was standing on the promise of God. God had said in Deuteronomy 28 in the covenant blessings that if Israel sinned, then he would shut up the heavens and withhold the rain. But if they were to obey him, he would bring rain in its season. So all Elijah had was the word of God. He had a promise from God and he was standing on that promise saying, Lord, you said in your word that my family will be saved. And I'm not going to look at the circumstances and I'm not going to look at how wayward they are, but I'm going to call them in. Lord, you said in your word I will be healed. So I'm going to stand on your promise. Lord, you said that, 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 that you would provide for all of my needs according to your riches and glory. And so I labor on your promise, Jesus. I stand on your word. I don't, I'm not distracted by the opposite that I'm seeing, but I am looking at you, God, and I'm prevailing in prayer until it comes. He got the breakthrough. And this is a model for us. This is what God wants to do in our lives. Um, Paul said this to the church in Galatians. He said, um, Whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. You know, he was, he was talking about this church. The church in Galatia had really gone off the rails. They were, you know, they were... I don't know, they're getting wrapped up in religiosity and going back to like old traditions. And, and, he, and it was really distressing Paul so much where this church was just going off track. And, and so he travailed in prayer for them. And that word travail, it's like the same, it means um, intense toil. That's what it means, intense, intense toil. It's talking about heartfelt. It's talking about... Crying out to God, persisting in God. In James 5, the Apostle James, he reminds us this, verse 16. Are you still with me? Can we read it together? The earnest... Makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Elijah was a human being with the nature as we have. And he prayed earnestly for it not to rain, and no rain fell on the earth for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the heavens supplied rain, and the land produced its crops as usual. Elijah was a man just like us. Nudge somebody next to him and say, Elijah was like you. Tell someone, come on, tap somebody in front of you, behind you. I know the girls are struggling right now. Just, just pretend it's Elijah Ress, okay? You, <laughs> Elijah Ress was, <laughs> was a, <laughs> that didn't work too good, eh? <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know about you, but when I look at Elijah, I don't think of myself anything like him. I really, I, I go like, really? Like me? Come on. Come on. Elijah, like me, I, I really, I don't think like that, but the Word is telling us he's a man. 
just like us. In other words, if you have an earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer, you, have, you will see tremendous power being made available to you. Earnest, heartfelt, continued. Earnest and heartfelt kind of go together. And this, you know what, this is what, can I tell you what, as I've started to pray for the lust, I'm going to be honest, the lust are not really burning on my heart. Just going to be honest. But when I started to pray for them, I felt my heart start to change. You see, prayer is something that changes us. It, it, when you start to do this thing called hot prayer, and you start to press in, God starts to work on your heart. And eventually, you start to cry for the lust. Now, I, I can tell you now, He's done such a work in my heart for the lust. I'm like, we have got to reach the lust. And it all starts when we pray. And it's the heartfelt prayer. And, and this, is, this is the thing about it, is that so often we feel like we don't have the heart, so we don't get into the heartfelt prayer. But what we don't realize is that when we start to engage in prayer, our hearts come right. Our hearts come right. It's about taking the step to pray, and then the heart comes. That's what I find. So if you're here this morning and thinking, well, I just I don't have the heart, I, what you need is to start praying. And you start to cry out to the Lord. And then eventually you start to see how your heart changes. It's an incredible thing. And then your heart almost becomes in, in step, in beat with His heart. And then it's like it's Him crying through you. And then all of His cry for the lust becomes your cry for the lust. And eventually it's like Him praying through you. And it's like you enter into this thing that we're talking about, intercessory prayer. That's what intercessory prayer is. It's God's heart beating through us. Um, I want to just give an illustration this morning. Spiwe, Shange, won't you come on up here? Makabongwe, Trish, my front row this morning. <laughs> my wife's looking at me like, why are you doing this to me? Okay, you're the, you're the, you're the unsaved guy, okay? Sorry, 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 sorry. So we love the lust. Yeah, we love the lust, okay? Just, okay? So I want you just to stand over here like this. Okay, Mac, will you come stand behind him? Okay. Don't worry, people, you're going to be safe. What, I, what I'd like you to do is put your hands over his eyes. Okay, so bring your hands around over there. Trish, why don't you come over here, all right? And I want you to grab him like this, okay, by his heart. But you're going to stand behind him. Yeah, by his heart, okay? And stand over here like that. Okay, all right. According to Scripture, this is the condition of the lust. They are blind, Okay. Their hearts have been taken captive, it says in Second Timothy, to Satan, to do Satan's will. Okay? And here we come, and we, we think, you know, we have this conversation with them, and they just don't get what we're trying to explain to them, and we get so frustrated, and we think, when will they get it, and we give up, you know? But what we don't understand is that, just relax, you're going to be fine, that this is... <laughs> A, this is a spiritual condition, and it requires us to labor in prayer. All right, we 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 will we will if we reap if we have a moment where we share the gospel and this guy gets saved, it's because somebody has done some work in the background here. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father intervenes, unless God steps into this 
and removes the spiritual condition that this person is in so that they can see the light of the gospel and come into the kingdom of God. And so intercessory prayer, when we're praying for the last, what we're doing is we're praying that God would release them from the bondage of Satan, that God would open their eyes to see the gospel. <laughs> this is not good for my marriage. Sorry, my darling, you're not Satan. <laughs> That's just terrible. For the sake of the illustration, thanks, guys. Can you put that acronym up for us? That acronym up. You don't mind being equipped a little bit this morning, okay? When I was preparing this, this is what I saw. So I really feel like God is just trying to help us understand what's going on here a little bit better. Well, there has to be type of prayer to see people set free. So here is an acronym to help you pray for the lost, okay? And it's H-E-A-R-T. Come on, Wayne. <clears throat> and Acts 26, can we read it together? It says, I'm sending you to open the eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Isn't that powerful? Can you look at somebody and say, God's sending you. God's sending you. What, what are you, what are you, what are you going to do? You're going to open their eyes. You're going to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of their sins and a place amongst us this morning. Okay? That's, that's what we're doing. And so the H stands for heart. It's the easiest one to remember. And what we're doing is we're praying that their heart would be, that their hearts would be open to the gospel. So when you pray for the lust, you pray for their heart. The Bible says that it's with the heart that you believe, all right? It's with the mouth that you confess, and then you are saved. The, the heart is the seat of understanding. It's the place where all your thoughts are. It's, it's the place where your emotions are. It's, it's the place where all those wrong philosophies are. It's where the lies of the enemy are. It's those, those little things that are keeping people back, all right, that the enemy has sowed into their life. That, that is keeping them in bondage. And so what we're praying is we're praying for heart surgery. We're praying that God would do a work in their hearts. The E stands for eyes. Right? We're praying that their eyes will be able to see Jesus, that they'll be able to see God in creation, that they'll be able to see God in their life. I remember my father got saved just before me, and he came to me, and he was like trying to share with me about God, and I was like, I don't see God anywhere. Where is God? Now I'm like, I just see him everywhere, you know? I was blind. And, and so what we need is people just to see, all right? So we have to pray for eyes to be opened. The A stands for attitude to sin, all right? The, the idea is that they, they may receive forgiveness for their sins. So their attitude, pray that their attitude towards sin would change. Sinners love sin. <laughs> they are what they are, okay? We shouldn't be surprised by that. But we can pray that their attitude to what they're doing will change. Jesus said this, the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict the world of their sins. So what was happening in that Hebridean revival was people were on their way to church and repenting of their sins. What was happening was the Holy Spirit was grabbing them before a preacher could. 
<laughs> and he was convicting them of their sin before anybody else could give them the God test, you know? And, and, and that's what the Holy Spirit does is he's able, I still remember living a life of sin and I'd have these moments where I'd look at where I'm at and what I'm doing and I'd know that this is seriously wrong. I would just know this is not the life. I remember looking at myself in the mirror once in a nightclub going, what are you doing with your life? What was happening? My mom was praying. <laughs> and, and, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit was there. You know, God actually reached me in my bedroom with no preacher around. What actually happened was he convicted me of my sin and I got down to my knees and repented before anybody could get to me. What was happening? My attitude to sin was changing. And it was the work of the Holy Spirit. So we pray that their attitude to sin would change. The R stands for release. We pray that Satan would release them. The Bible says, resist the enemy and he will flee from him. We say, we, we can command the enemy to lose people. We, we can say, release him in the name of Jesus. We command you to get your hands off him. We claim him for the kingdom of God. We pray that God would release them from the captivity of Satan. And then the T stands for transformation. That, Lord, you would transform their life around. You know, there's this wonderful story of a mother whose son went off the rails. Not my mother, although I did too. Um, <laughs> this, this guy lived like 1,600 years ago, all right? And he went seriously off the rails for 17 years. And his mother prayed and prayed and prayed for him with tears and tears and tears. Eventually, she went to the bishop in Hippo and, and said to him, Listen, why is it that my son won't be saved? And he said this to her. He said, The son of many tears will not be forgotten. He will be saved. The son of many tears. And she prayed for God to transform his life. St. Augustine. He had an encounter with God. I mean, we, his, his literary works for the Christian faith are still being published to this day. He's, he's like one of the incredible, amazing scholars, theologians that was ever, you know, seen on this planet was St. Augustine in Africa. Praise God. Amen. And, and, and it came from God, a mom praying for transformation. He was so this way. And he went so that way. It's like the Apostle Paul. He was Saul, you know, and he became Paul. And what we're doing is when, when we're praying for transformation, we're saying, Lord, I know they're like this. And I look at you and you look at your block of flats or where you live and you, and you see what's going on. And you, you go, Lord, I know they're like this. But I know that you can do this. I know that out of this place, you can, you can bring another St. Augustine. You can bring another preacher. You can bring somebody who's going to change the world out of that situation. It's just a simple acronym to help us when we pray for the last. Can we stand to our feet this morning? A.V., could you just put something on, just something gentle this morning? Can you nudge somebody next to you and just say... We've got to do some heart prayer. We've got to do some heart prayer. Is, I want to ask you, is there space in your life for some heart prayer? Is there? Please, can you carve out some space? Let's be like Elijah in this case. There's the sound, and I hope you're hearing this, is from heaven. 
The harvest is coming. We need to prepare. We need to pray. Um, we, we have a dream as a church. We have a room up here behind the AV that's open space. And the idea is to turn it into a 24-7 prayer room. That's the idea. And I really feel like that's what God has called us to. And, it's, and I, I really want it to be something that the whole city can use. Right? The idea is that we will have a, an app maybe where you, you, will, you can register on there and then you can get a pin code so you can get in through the security door and get up there. And when you get up there, it's just going to be you're just going to be some soaking worship music just 24-7 playing to God. There's going to be walls where you can pray for different things, pray stations for different things, things to help you in your prayer. And while we're here in this venue, I, I really want, man, that the mark that we leave would be one of 24-7 crying out to God. And I, I have a dream that this room will be filled at like 2 a.m., 4 a.m., that we would all book different prayer slots and and that we would we'd start to mobilize ourselves and we would come here when you wake up at night, you know, and you would just come and pray. Ladies and gentlemen, I climbed up onto the roof of this auditorium. I stood right up here on this roof and I looked out over the city of Durban. And let me tell you something. This is a strategic point in the city. Amen. There is a reason why God gave us this space. I can tell you now, this is very, I, you know, I don't understand all of it. But I know that there are positions, and I know that there are places for things, and I know there are high places. When I stood up there, I could see the entire CBD, North Beach, whole of the Durban North, all the way up across the Berea. There was nothing hindering my view on any side. And I looked at this, and I was like, God, this is a high point. This is a place where we need to pray. This is probably like a place where Moses raised his hands, where he said he climbed up the mountain, and while the battle was down there, he raised his hands. And, and I really believe that God wants us to be like a prophetic Moses as a church over the city of Durban, that we would come into this upper room. Oh, it's an upper room too. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> it's an upper room. And we would go to this upper room and we would let, raise our hands over the city of Durban, over the neighborhoods, over the families, over the business, over the government. Because I can tell you now, unless God shakes the room, we're going to just keep striving in the flesh. We're going to keep striving in the flesh. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. It's by spirit, by spirit, not by our power or eloquence. There's already a space to pray on Sunday mornings in the church boardroom. Just come and do it. This venue is, we're here during the week. If you want to come and pray in this auditorium in your lunch break, or if you've got an early morning where you, you can come and take a morning off and be in this auditorium and pray, you are welcome to do that. This is your church. All right? Let this be a house of prayer for all nations. We're here Monday to Friday. Come. You're welcome just to come and walk around here and pray until we get this prayer room going.